I'm Bärbel Winkler and you are listening to the European Skeptics Podcast, The Real ESP Experience. You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 313. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show is my co-host, Pontus Böckmann. See ya! Hey son, hey son! So what? No, Annika today. What's going on? No, no, no. There's something going on in the family, apparently. Yeah. So she's being a very, very caring mother at the moment. And a wife, as I understand And a wife, it. yeah. They're Taking care of everyone sick, in the family. Luna and yeah, her yeah. husband. So. Yeah. No, that's too bad. Too bad. But uh, I wasn't there last week. So I think we will, we will manage. That's how we do it. Yeah. We won't break the series of whatever happens. No, 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 no. <laughs> No, instead, we had a very interesting interview today that you That's and I right. just conducted mm-hmm. with Berbel Winkler. She is one of the masterminds behind all of these handbooks that we've been talking about uh, through... No, actually, the translation of them. <laughs> yeah, well, the translation. Yeah, mastermind behind the translation of these handbooks, I should say, that are done by a lot of people, among them John Cook and Stephen Lewandowski both of whom have been here. We've also interviewed uh, Philip Schmidt. I think you have yeah. the, inter- the the episode numbers ready. Yeah, yeah. We have interviewed <laughs> four people who have been involved in the making of these handbooks as experts. So the first one was uh, Sander van der Linden. That's right. And uh, he talked about the very important tool. It's called Bad News and Prebunking as a concept. Sunday we interviewed on episode 180 and on 210, episode 210, we interviewed John Cook, mm. who is mentioned several times during the interview <laughs> yes. that's, that's coming that's up. Right. Uh, he's just an amazingly productive guy. He's, he's very handy with drawings as well. He has a talent for drawing and amazing graphics that he, he can produce. Uh, while he works as an expert and researcher on how people are being deceived and misinformation spreading around about climate science and all that. So that was about Cranky Uncle versus climate change. So mm-hmm. that's a good reference to go by this uh, interview that's coming up. Mm-hmm. And we also mentioned on the interview Stephen Lewandowski a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And we interviewed him on episode 247. And on 261, we interviewed Philip Schmidt about the vaccine communication handbook, the COVID-19 vaccine communication handbook. So uh, when it comes to these handbooks, we keep referring to them. But it's these are very important tools put together by the 
the leading experts on the field of social psychology, psychology, uh, the psychology of debunking, how things are being done, how these misconceptions spread and why they are so successful to help us understand what's going on and how to tackle all these issues. Those are amazingly important tools for all skeptics out there. Right. And it's done very scientifically. This is not yes. somebody's just thinking about th- something and finds a good idea. This is exactly researched science. How do people react? How do you best convince people? How can you talk to people who are convinced about conspiracy theories, etc.? So we have that and, and we have these handbooks and what we're going to talk about in the interview is how to translate them to other languages. And several yeah. of them are translated into Swedish and a lot of other languages, of course, like German, not in the least. And uh, there are still opportunities for other languages to be used. Yeah, Hungarian is among them as well. That's right. And as I keep banging on about this, like really, I know I I could be annoying with this, but I feel it's one of the most important things to do for skeptical outreach all over the world because there's so many good material available but most of them is English. Some of them is in other languages. But if we translate them first into English and then translate them into other languages, this very rare research stuff, it's an absolutely amazing tool yeah. to have. So it absolutely should be top priority for skeptical groups out there, I think. Yeah, so, um, so why reinvent the wheel? If it's already there, exactly. somebody's put in all the work, why not just mm-hmm. translate it into, so make it available to everybody? Yeah, scientifically speaking, it's really good. Yeah, and it's not just handbooks. That sounds, that could sound boring. They're not boring, but it can sound very academic, etc. But now there's the game, Cranky un- yeah. Uncle game that you can play on your phone. And uh, so you can do fun stuff with science. Yeah, exactly. So without further ado, let's go and find out about how it can be translated into other languages. Every now and then, we interview someone whose work is of interest to our listeners and skeptics around Europe. Babel Winkler is the project coordinator for the translation project at Skeptical Science and has been organizing the translation of documents like the two consecutive versions of the Debunking Handbook, the Uncertainty Handbook, the Conspiracy Theory Handbook, and the COVID-19 Vaccine Communication Handbook, to mention only a few. And now she's busy coordinating the translation of the Cranky Uncle game, an awesome tool for skeptics, which we have mentioned on several occasions on this podcast. Babel, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. We should have done this interview like years ago. We should, really, yes. (laughs) Finally. Uh, So it's great to finally have you here. And uh, it's because the first time we we kind of worked together, we haven't talked before, but the first time we kind of worked together was was many, many years ago when it was about the debunking handbook, the first version of the debunking handbook, which was out in 2011, right? Mm Mm-hmm. I So because of this involvement of mine, I do know a couple of things about how this works. But uh, for our listeners who might not know that, how does the translation project work? How do people get on board and how is it done technically? For, for the handbook translations, it's usually me taking an interest in a handbook and then asking John or Steve Lewandowski 
who are among the authors, whether a German translation or other translations might make sense. Mm -hmm. Not all of the handbooks that they've been writing are applicable or relevant for Europe, for example. Mm -hmm. So we then decide to not do a translation. But for the handbooks that you already mentioned, translations obviously make sense. So the way that it usually works is that while I'm preparing the German translation, I, for example, create a screenshot of each page and number the paragraphs and number the graphics so that we get a kind of cross-reference. And I also set up a Google document that then has the English text in the left column and an empty column on the right for the translation. Mm -hmm. And then I do a draft of the German translation. I try to get some helpers on board because it's always good for two, three, four people to collaborate depending on the length of a handbook. And then you take turns doing the proofreading because proofreading the stuff that you translated yourself, <laughs> you might not spot everything that needs spotted. Yeah. So it's a collaborative effort for the first translation, and it then depends on how the handbook is published. So quite often, soon after publication of a handbook in the first language, other people inquire whether they could do a translation into French, into Italian, whatever language. And these requests, they end up with me, and we do have uh, an option on our contact form on Skeptical Science which is um, inquiry about translation. And if people fill out that contact form, I get their email. And then I check whether somebody's already working on a translation for that handbook and the language. If they are, then I put the newly interested person in contact with the group already doing the translation. It takes a couple of weeks usually for them to finish their translation either on their own or ideally as I said with two or three people and then they report back and we take it from there then it's Wendy Cook's turn because she is designing the layouts for most or all of the handbooks as far as I know she then does the copy and paste work and creates a PDF for the mm -hmm. translators to then proofread. But but I, I guess it's hard for you to validate that the translation is done correctly. I mean, if Andras does something in Hungarian, you're pretty much, you have to take his word for it. Yeah, obviously there is a lot of trust involved, mm -hmm. but usually because two or three people who may not know each other beforehand come together to work on a translation, they keep each other honest. Yeah, so the yeah. risk of something slipping through is fairly small, I'd say. Mm -hmm. Or it would soon be spotted after publication. And I don't remember any occasion where we had trouble with that. Uh, one thing that I have come across as one of the people working on translations is uh, how difficult it is to translate things terminology-wise. Mm -hmm. There is an exist already existing terminology in every language for this, the thing that we are talking about. So do your translators, or when you do the translation yourself, do you consult local experts on the field? Yeah, for, for me, this is obviously fairly easy because I'm friends with John and Steve. So if I'm yeah. not quite clear about something, then I ask them. 
But the translation teams, either some of them like Lotten in Sweden, she's with the Skeptics Society there. So mm -hmm. she has her own network where she can get information. And the same holds true for others working on the translation, mm -hmm. as far as I know, or that I'm aware of, because some provide some information via Google form of their background and why they want to help with the translation. We usually do have some information about them. But we also figure that somebody who is up to no good wouldn't actually go through all the trouble that creating such work. translation is. <laughs> it's e easier. It's too much there are easier not, ways to troll people. Yes, <laughs> it's not something quick to do. <laughs> yeah, actually, actually, I find that with the skeptical movement in general, yeah. <laughs> this is probably why we, we come across so many nice, lovely people who are, 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 are really clean-hearted and and very very bright and all that. They are the ones dedicating their time to this <laughs> yeah but and there, there's actually a good example in some of the handbooks for what you were asking before about the tricky stuff mm -hmm. so take for example the flick acronym in english yeah for fake expert logical fallacies impossible expectations cherry picking and mm -hmm. conspiracy theories so you have five terms and you have five letters But if you start translating the terms into, let's say, German, then you end up with Pseudo-Experten. So you have a P. Then you have Logische Trugschlüsse. Okay, the L is okay. Then you have Unerfüllbare Erwartungen. So you end up with a U. Then you have Rosinenpicken. Because we don't pick cherries in Germans, we pick raisins. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. No, we do that in Swedish too, actually. We, yeah. we, we pick raisins too, yeah. yeah. And, ah, and, the English don't know what they're talking about. And we have Verschwörungsmythen. So what is Flick in English as an acronym is Plurf in German. Mm. Or then, I think, Plocks in Dutch. And what we try to do with the translation is to come up with an acronym for Flick in the other language that fits the terms, but it might need switching the sequence of the terms. Mm -hmm. And it's not really easy to come up with something that can be spoken as a word. Okay, yeah. That's yeah, right. I uh, know exactly what you mean. We uh, have the same problems, yeah. And with the example of cherry picking versus raisin picking, you know <laughs> that John Cook, he creates the icons, and obviously for cherry picking, what is on the icon? To it's cherries. A, a cherries, yes. So one, yeah. one of the first things that John actually created for me is a new icon of cherry picking instead of cherry picking for raisin picking, mm. but then a hand picking up a small thing. <laughs> but okay. doing, but doing that work for the debunking handbook where we needed that in the second version. I think Flick wasn't actually around for the first one, but once we had that, it also got used in the conspiracy theory handbook as a introduction because that is basically a lower level entity with seven conspiratorial traits that then in English make conspire. But we gave up coming up with something comparable in German because it wouldn't mm. work. <laughs> no, no chance at all. Some languages were lucky. 
they could move some letters around, so they were pretty close. <laughs> the Hungarian translators were very innovative in that sense. They did, yeah, and the English version goes Kenspir, which means this, so which which mm -hmm. is understandable. But the acronym for the Hungarian words, it didn't came mm -hmm. out as such. Yeah, <laughs> you have uh, to be creative. Then, yeah, yeah, yeah. But once we had this translation for some of the languages for flick, plov, plogs, yeah. and so on. We could use that again in the COVID-19 vaccine communication handbook and also now for the Cranky Uncle game because other languages come on board for the Cranky Uncle game. It will be easier for future translations of the debunking handbook because we are building up kind of um, a reference work mm -hmm. for the many flick, the fallacies that we have in there, 20-something Yeah. By now, 23 or 25. In Swedish, it became flork. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> I like that flork. <laughs> Does it mean anything? It doesn't mean anything, but... As long as it can be spoken as a work. It just sounds <laughs> flork. <laughs> yeah, but, okay. but the interesting thing with these acronyms is that they get used without our doing now. Well. So we have Christian Drosten in Germany, who is a virologist, and he's now very prominent because of COVID, obviously. And mm -hmm. he started a podcast to explain things about Corona. And it's a very popular podcast. And in one of his podcasts last year, he extensively explained Blof, okay, the text nice. that, that taxonomy and everything mm. so it got quite popular on on twitter and everywhere right okay but it sounds like you this is a hell of a lot of work to do is this all you do or what do you have a day job as well <laughs> i actually have a day job which i enjoy as well mm. i work in it for a german manufacturing company so okay. something completely different Yeah, all right. So you're able to... Because this is not something you get rich on. <laughs> no. no. Rich in experience, rich in meeting interesting people. Ah, that's right. That's mm. right. And is that your original background? So is that what you have training in, IT? Yes, I've been working in IT since 1985. Oh, okay. After I did uh, clerical training in Germany, where you are at school for a couple of weeks and then you are at the company where you are employed for a couple of weeks in a department and then you make the rounds from one department to another. Mm -hmm. And afterwards, I ended up in IT. All right. mm -hmm. so, so how did you become part of the skeptical science team then? I always was interested in environmental topics. That mm -hmm. started while I was still at school. Mm -hmm. So biology and ecology, Amazing one of stuff. my main interests. So after school, I was or still a member in Greenpeace. So I'm supporting them, Worldwide mm -hmm. Fund for Nature for a long time, but also other groups like Rangers in Virunga National Park or quite a lot of groups and teams. I'm also a volunteer docent at the Wilhelma here in Stuttgart, the zoo and zoological and botanical garden. And I've been doing that since 1991. And we also touch on a lot of environmental topics there with touch tables about the bushmeat trade and plight of the rhinos, tigers, you name mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. On the back burner, I had been aware of the climate problem. And that came a lot to the front burner, so to speak, after watching Al Gore's An Inconvenient Truth yeah. around mm -hmm. 2007 when that came out in Germany. 
must have been sometime during 2009, I happened upon skeptical science while doing other stuff. And during 2009, John Cook had enabled translation possibilities on his website, which he had started 2007. So we are coming up for the 15th anniversary of the web page in summer. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) unbelievable. And... um, Towards the end of 2009, I sent John an email that I think I could help with translations into German. And a couple of days later, I had access for the translation part of Skeptical Science. Mm -hmm. And some others were around as well, working on German translation. So I hooked up with them. We started coordinating our translations. One thing led to another couple of years later, I took over the translation coordination for all languages to take that off of John's shoulders. By then, he had lots to do with his own research and starting his PhD. Are you involved with any other skepticism-related projects? or, or Do you at all identify as a skeptic? Do I identify as a skeptic? I have never got, given that question a lot of thought. <laughs> I think yes, because otherwise I don't think that I'd be working with (laughs) skeptical science. (laughs) (laughs) So from that perspective, obviously, Uh I'm involved also with uh, Denial 101X with our MOOC, the Massive Open Online course that our team at Skeptical Science put together in collaboration with the University of Queensland Mm -hmm. and which we've been running since 2015. And because that is also about making people aware of Flick and explaining why and how climate science basics are still denied (laughs) to this day, why that is happening and what can be done about it. And I'm involved in, in the MOOC basically as part of staff almost. So I help the UQX stuff with running the MOOC and I'm coordinating our moderators team. But it's fairly easy right now. Mm-hmm. The most fun was the first iteration when all the <laughs> all our non-friends <laughs> came into the MOOC, so the, the deniers, and tried Ooh. to disrupt the activities in the forums. Mm. That, that was kind of interesting, but they basically provided teaching opportunities for the actual students and participants who were interested in the content. <laughs> so they had live so, material yeah. ah, nice. <laughs> in, the, in the forum. <laughs> and some of the participants, they were not new to the stuff, so they knew some of the people who had joined just to cause some issues or trouble. But the troublemakers, they lost interest after two or three weeks and then was fairly smooth sailing since then. Okay. So are, are you, do you have any dealings with GWP, the German skeptical organization? No. no. I'm aware of them, mm-hmm. but I'm not involved and I don't think that I'd have time to actively get involved. Oh, I think we they are keeping you quite busy anyway. <laughs> yeah, especially our latest project. <laughs> so what what is the latest project? So talk us through that. Yeah, the, the latest project is the Cranky Uncle game, mm-hmm. which is a creation also of John Cook. And I think you had him on your program we did. as well. Yeah, yeah. So Cranky Uncle is your 
typical cranky uncle who knows <laughs> everything better than you and all the scientists in the world do. <laughs> so he's spouting a lot of nonsense about climate science and um, he's just a cranky denier uncle that you might run into at family gatherings. We all know the type, I think. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Most of us do. And Cranky Uncle actually teaches you how he distorts the science and how he uses flick, so the typical techniques of science denial, to make that happen. So he explains how cherry picking can be used or how conspiracy theories come in handy if everything that the scientists say is different from what you think or want to think. Mm -hmm. And he explains it and then you get some quiz questions so you can train yourself to spot them. And then there are a lot of quiz questions from the various topics once you've learned one of the techniques. You get ever more diverse questions. So if you only know one, then there aren't that many questions about that one for you. But as soon as you learn the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, you get a broader range of questions. And you either have a question where you then pick an answer from three options, or you have a statement, often accompanied by a cartoon from Cranky Uncle, and you have to select one of four possible fallacies it could be. So you have two mm -hmm. buttons and you have to click, hopefully, the right one. You can get explanations of what cherry picking is or what's a false analogy, false, what do we have? Yeah, there are not all of the ones that are in the big flick taxonomy. But over time, more will be added. So there are five that you have to master first, and then two more for cherry picking will be unlocked, seven more for logical fallacies, and seven for the conspiratorial trials. Mm -hmm. And the more you play, the more cranky points you collect. So there's <laughs> <laughs> cranky uncle gets ever crankier. He gets redder, <laughs> in, redder in the face and... <laughs> but but that was also something interesting to translate because for each of the levels that you can reach, there's a moody term. Mm. And now you have 35 terms that, for example, John came up with initially, and they are in a certain sequence. But obviously, there is no right or wrong sequence. You can't really tell which level is really crankier than the other level. <laughs> it's just gut feeling or whatever. But to create the translations, you also need a big list of words that somehow fit getting ever crankier. Yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and, then, and, and it doesn't really work if you just translate each term. No. Because the German translations, they may not fit or you might feel, no, that's not really crankier than what you had there. So you have to ah. do a lot of juggling. There's a lot, lot of and, nuance there that is yeah. different from language to language. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And other translation teams, they told us when we got together in a Zoom call that they even have trouble coming up with the needed 35 terms because they don't have that many in the language. <laughs> so they were asking whether they could also use basically compounds like uh, mm. very angry, extremely angry. <laughs> mm. Now I'm really pissed off. Pissed off, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so, so that was also one of the interesting aspects. Mm -hmm. One of the initial interesting aspects of the game. 
So you and Cranky Uncle, you collect points, you reach a new level. So with that playfulness built into the game, the gamification basically, the hope is that people will play more quiz questions than they need to just unlock the next Mm -hmm. fallacies to learn because you can do that within, uh, I don't know, during testing the game. I think if you speed through, you need plus or minus 40 minutes for everything, but not for all the quiz questions because there are a lot of them in there. Mm, okay. So you still have some stuff that you can do to get more cranky points. <laughs> okay. So I, I know we have a Swedish version. Mm -hmm. We're working on one. It won't be out very soon, but well, hopefully before summer. Uh, what other languages is it translated to? I'd actually have to check the list, but We already are live with German and Dutch mm -hmm. that went yeah. live early in February. And French, Italian, Portuguese, Romanian. Mm. These are in the works now? They, they are not just in the works. They are done for the basic, for the drafted translation in the Google Sheet that we have. We have a big Google Sheet. They yeah. are, I don't know, have you played the game? Yes. In yes, English, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So you know that there's quite a lot of text. Yeah. Mm. And I did a rough calculation based on the entities that we have in our spreadsheet that has multiple tabs, the mood levels, the research questionnaire, the screens where uncle explains the stuff, obviously all the quiz questions, and also some additional text that are directly on the screens in the game. So there are about 2,000 entities ranging from one word to whole paragraphs yeah. and all the questions and answers. So it, it is a lot. So it takes time. And all the translations are done by volunteers who came forward and wanted to help. So you can't actually put any time constraints on anybody. Yeah, uh, it, It's done when it's done. <laughs> yeah. And once the translation that is prepared in the Google Docs, so somebody translated and others proofread it and there's some tricky content where you actually have to discuss how best to translate it because yeah. you can't just translate it we had a lot of fun with ambiguous terms <laughs> so some words it's easy like theory because they have the same translation Mm -hmm. For example, in German, it's the same word. And also the ambiguous meaning in English is the same ambiguous meaning, meaning in German. But there are also other terms where if you translate what is ambiguous in English, it's no longer ambiguous. You have two completely different words in, for example, German. Yeah. So you have to come up with something else or skip the question. Mm. Okay, so, it sounds like you're trying to put people off <laughs> no, not, and, not at all, because it's, them. <laughs> it, it, is, it, it is actually the fun about the translation, because it's not straightforward, so it takes more time, but it also involves a lot more creativity than just mm -hmm. translating a text, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. where you just have to come up with the proper, I don't know, sentence structure, whatever, that it reads well. But in this case, there's a lot of creativity involved, and there's also discussion between the languages, because where we had trouble in German might not necessarily be the exact same questions where French, Swedish, yeah. Spanish, mm. Close. but there, there might be some overlap for some of the questions. So if we had a solution for German or Dutch, that might actually help Swedish. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we don't know that beforehand. Mm-hmm. But we have a means to keep in touch. I have a meeting or a Zoom call scheduled for this Saturday to talk about the next steps for the next languages. Mm-hmm. Because having the translation prepared in the Google Doc is just the first step. Because then everything, all those 2,000 entities, they need to unfortunately manually be copied into the content management system, piece by piece. And it's done by whom? <laughs> by the translator. So I did it okay. for German. Mm-hmm. There, there is no other way to really yeah. do it. And yeah. we are actually lucky that we can do it with, we are using Strapi. I don't know whether you've heard of that. It, it is a content management system geared towards game de- development. We are working together with the development team from creative agency Good Beast, which John Cook, I think he met some of, or one of the developers two or three years ago. Mm-hmm. And they hooked up to create the game in the first place when the company was still called Autonomy. So if you wanted to convince people to join and do the job and put the actual work in, why is it important? Why do you think? So what is that they get as a result in the end? I think they get a great game for inoculating people in their language against Mm -hmm. misinformation and the techniques inherent in a lot of not just scientific misinformation. The interesting thing is that there's also a teacher's guide for the game mm-hmm. with information about the scientific background that John put together as well as suggestions for activities that teachers could use in class. Using the game in classes offers a chance to reach people you'd not reach otherwise if it's just out there in social media because they would never play the game on their own but if it's part of what they do in class, mm-hmm. where they can use the gamification, have some fun, hopefully, while playing the game, because some of the cartoons, they are just funny if you look at them. Yeah. So they, they hopefully have fun playing it and don't even notice that they learn something. Mm-hmm. They play the game if they answer the questions. And even if they get them wrong, the explanation of why it's wrong will help as well. You always have a second or third chance. Just gets a cranky point. <laughs> so it's not increasing quite as fast. So there's the the good thing about playing the game is that there's there's no situation when you hit the game over. You don't face that kind of feeling of failure. Not <laughs> not really. I didn't succeed. <laughs> not not really because you do do still get at least one point for each question. Yeah. <laughs> So it's intended for for classroom use, but it's also intended for adults, right? So anyone can have a lot of fun. I mean, I've had a lot of fun uh, (laughs) playing the game. And by the way, how can you have access to the game? If someone's happy to do the English version and check it out to think about whether they want to get involved with the translation. The game is available in the app stores on Android Mm -hmm. and iPhone. It can also be played just in the browser. Although for the browser, it's encouraged to make the browser window look like it's a smartphone in portrait mode. Okay. (laughs) Because otherwise you might get overlapping speech bubbles and cartoons and things like that. Uh Yeah. Oh, oh. (laughs) it doesn't look nice. It works, but yeah, it depends. Not everybody has a phone. And the links to get there are sks.to slash and then cranky iPhone 
cranky Android and cranky browser. Mm -hmm. But we'll definitely uh, put the links on the show notes. So yeah. yeah, and we also published a blog post about the newly available multilingual version. Mm -hmm. So that is out there. I can send you the link to put in the show notes. Great. We already have, actually, when we, I think two weeks ago, we mentioned the fact that it has been out for yeah. a while, so that it, it came out. So uh, we will do that again, of course. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a lot of information about the game out there. And I'm really hoping that the pace picks up because even though the game had only been available in English, teachers from non-English speaking countries had already inquired to get a group code to play the game with their classes in Germany, I think France, some other non-English speaking countries. So hopefully yeah. with the multilingual version now becoming available and as we add more languages, it will spread further. People listening to this, just go for it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting on both levels. It's interesting to play it, and working on the translations is also interesting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we hope to be able to get additional languages out roughly every three months. But mm -hmm. don't hold me to that, because our first translations for Dutch and German, they are not necessarily the best <clears throat> basis to calculate how long it will take. Because we not only had the translations and the proofreadings, we also did the technical testing. So that part of the project where they do the proofreading should go faster. All right. So what is the best way for people to get involved if, if they are interested in translating, I mean? Yep. Uh, the, the easiest way is to just go to Skeptical Science and fill out our contact form. The short URL for that is sks.to slash contact mm -hmm. and there's an option to select inquiry about translations and that will ensure that it ends up in my inbox okay great very good people should just specify what they are interested in and um, we'll set things up if it's a new translation or get them in touch with possibly still active translators um, but it's all Volunteer work and everybody it translates is, yeah. as much mm -hmm. and as quickly or not as they have the time and means to. So there's no, no pressure at all. What, whatever gets translated is better than what doesn't get translated. <laughs> so. oh, that's true. That's so true. Uh, it looks like you're not only responsible for the, to translate the project of translating stuff, but you're also doing a lot of recruiting of translators, including the presentations. Uh, so did you just go about attending conferences and uh, talking about the game? Can you tell us about where people can see and hear you in the coming month and uh, in the coming year or so? Yeah, the plan that is already fairly certain, unless COVID-19 <laughs> changes the plans. I'll be in Vienna for the European Geosciences Union General Assembly, Ooh. end of May, okay. which is, the, as far as I know, the largest meeting of geoscientists in Europe. I was there before Corona hit. And I think there are about, I don't know, 16 to 17,000 people. Ooh, that's quite <laughs> a large gathering. Going there, yeah. And, and this, the last two years, it was obviously not in Vienna, but it was online, mm -hmm. which worked surprisingly well. And this year, they are trying to do it as a hybrid conference. 
Okay. Where people can either present in Vienna or online. And I uh, submitted an abstract together with John Cook about the Cranky Uncle game because they do a session each year at the EGU meeting that is called Games for Geosciences, where serious games are presented. <laughs> they even have a Geosciences Games Night. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, so it's... <laughs> so there are so many geoscience-related mm -hmm. games. Wow. Yeah, I figured we could submit something there. Should be fine. And sometime in the next couple of weeks, we'll get the information of uh, whether the abstract was accepted, which is fairly likely, than when it actually will happen. It will be one of the days during that week. But I plan to go to Vienna for the whole week. Yeah. Which is interesting. I tend to write a blog post or two about the event for Skeptical mm -hmm. Science. Mm -hmm. The EGU, the European Geosciences Union, is like a bottom-up organization, right? So it doesn't all only involve geoscientists, but others who are interested in the field of geoscience. Yeah, there's obviously a lot of climate science, a lot of geoscience content. Mm -hmm. And the technical side of things, I don't understand much of it. <laughs> <laughs> so, but they also have sections for educational topics okay. to get people interested in geosciences. But in that area, there's also things about climate literacy, science communication. So there's a lot of activity and a lot of sessions in areas where I have a chance to understand something and where I can contribute a bit. Mm -hmm. So I've been presenting uh, in the previous years as well, a session about Denial 101X or presentation. And um, it was in a climate literacy session where others presented about what they offered for getting kids interested in science topics. Mm -hmm. I think it was also last year I could do a presentation just about what we do at Skeptical Science. Which is a lot. Thanks. So thank you very much for, for doing what you do. And thanks for coming on the show. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Again, thank you. I hope that as a result of this interview, there might be a couple of new translators uh, you can work with. Not necessarily starting with the biggest job ever, <laughs> uh, the, the Cranky Uncle game, but there's a lot of other stuff that is much more easily translatable. The debunking handbook, the, the COVID-19 vaccine communication handbook, the conspiracy theory handbook, all that's out there for all of you to check out. And they're all worth translating into your own languages because it's so good stuff <laughs> that you get out of them. So, Babel Winkler, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Take care and hope to see you in person sometime at, yep, at that one would of be the, nice. <laughs> these events internationally. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Bye. You know what? I feel like I'm going to go and um, do some proofreading of um, already existing <laughs> translations of some of the materials. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And the, the, <laughs> the, and the game... I think is what we are focusing on now in the Swedish skeptics. Mm -hmm. It's there, mm -hmm. but as we heard, it is a bit complicated. It's not just taking the text and putting it through Google Translate. You have to really work with it, find the nuances. And in, in a game, it is very important that it follows. It should still be fun to play it. It should be the logic of the game should be preserved. And then sometimes you have to 
be very creative, as Burbel said about yeah. how you translate it. Yeah, and there's always something something else to do, but I think we should focus on this. We have the old debunking handbook and the conspiracy theory handbook already translated into Hungarian. The letter was done completely independently from the Hungarian Skeptic Society, mm. but someone has from the from our organization has already translated the vaccine communication handbook as well. It re, it, re, it only needs a bit of proofreading, so um, so yeah, there is a lot of work in the process, and uh, yeah, uh, we encourage everyone listening to this to get involved because you will be making a difference. Definitely. Yes. It's like yes, yes. it's like Susan Gerbic's GSOW project, uh, editing Wikipedia articles. You would be educating the world in your sleep, as they say in the promo material. And yeah, that's, that's so right. true. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. good. So I think I'm very happy with uh, with today's interview as well. Mm-hmm. Is she our 119th? person to have been interviewed on the show very good Probably, you have that. all the numbers in your head that is correct we know <laughs> yeah. this because there are statistics on our website keeping track on how many people we've interviewed so it's 119 but it's even more interviews than that because several some people have come on many times so i think it's 150 interviews something like mm. over the years it's it's a lot yeah, anyway. Yeah, a lot, a lot, and, a lot. Uh, we're pretty. I'm, I'm proud of that. I think we're. That's so part of bringing the skeptical community together is to interview people. It's not just famous people. It is ordinary people. Uh, well, to be honest, very few skeptics are that famous. But if they are famous, we have them. If you're not famous, you can still be interviewed by us if you are doing something interesting and you want to reach out so we do let us know do let us know yeah 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 we will keep bringing you the uh, stories of uh, very interesting people and motivational stuff that we like you to listen to if you would like to support the work that we do chip in a little bit so that we can buy new equipment uh, to provide you with the best quality possible or um, yeah it's doing this requires a lot of networking as well which uh, is best done at uh, conferences and events that we can meet people so in order for us to be able to afford going there yeah it would be very much appreciated if you could help us somehow and the ways you can do that are well you should go to patreon.com slash the esp and sign up and you can pledge as little as one dollar per month up until well there's no upper limit actually you can (laughs) pledge to how much is but normally how it works is you pledge to do a certain amount per episode but you can set a cap on how much you want to donate every month so you are uh, well not to risk that we suddenly release 100 episodes in one month and and ruin you you can put a cap on on whatever you want to do so mm. so please do that uh, we appreciate that very much and there are we haven't had a lot of conferences in the skeptical movement or in any movement for a while but it looks starting to look like this year will be very busy. Mm-hmm. We have the European Skeptics Congress coming up in Vienna, 9th to 11th of September. We have QED, and I have lost the dates now, but it's in early October, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. And then if you want to really want to travel far, you could go to the Australian Skeptic Congress. Is that what I call it officially? 
it is in November, I believe. And if we are lucky, we, we're not we're keeping our fingers crossed and we won't don't want to promise anything too much, but maybe Andras, myself, and Annika will show up there. We're try we're working on that at the moment. <laughs> yeah. We keep our fingers crossed as good skeptics do. Yes. But I think that concludes our show. And I'd like to thank you, Pontus, for, for joining me today. It's been a lot of fun again. Thank you. I'd like to thank all our listeners as well for tuning in. Please keep doing so. Until next week, goodbye. Bye-bye. Bis dann. Hey du. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at theesp.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe Pontus Beckmann See hey. ya. <laughs> 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 I tricked you. <laughs> uh, Not um, intentionally. I forgot what to say. So I happy with it. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. You are happy. Uh, okay. I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs>